0: Welcome to the Faces of Food podcast. I'm Corby Kummer, and we're recording live from Eat Stockholm forum. I am right here in with Peres Ben Stoknes, a psychologist with a PhD in economics from Norway and director of Center for Green Growth at the Norwegian Business School and a specialist in behavior change. So we're going to talk about what would be a good way to change behavior, but we were just talking about our very own behavior when I asked him, what's that great water bottle you have? An intriguing, beautiful blue diamond label that says Ferris, natural smack. Uh, And he said, well, it's a wonderful Norwegian water and you carry it. How do you carry it?
1: I carry it in the side pocket of my um, rucksack. Uh, so I always have some water ready, uh, unless I've already drunk it up. So then I need to look for a good tap to refill it.
0: Uh, and that's what we all do. So we're reusing. I, I, am, I am proudly with my summit spring mainspring water from New England in the U.S., which I have carefully drained before the airplane security and then fill as soon as I get through security. But how do we extend these habits to food so in fact do you start your day having a lovely fresh yogurt and completely recycled everything what is an eating regime for you
1: Um, i love starting the day with um, some typically boiled brown rice with uh, nuts and fruits and um, some kind of oil coconut oil olive oil Uh, that's my favorite
0: this is not a childhood favorite in Norway, I predict. How did you come to want this in the morning?
1: I started becoming, um, having allergies uh, and sensitivity to gluten, wheat, these kind of things, cross, um, what they call it, cross something, allergies, yeah, something cross allergies. So it's it's uh, the grass pollen of Timothy, with uh, the wheat has some kind of, so... Um, I started reading up on um, acid-alkaline balance in the diet and uh, ended up with uh, changing my
0: diet completely because of health reasons. And how old were you?
1: I was at that point 35, I think.
0: And how much or any of it had to do with thinking about the climate or environment or science? And you, who were an economist and with an interest in psychology, how much of it had to do with thinking of your own behavior change and what you'd been advocating for others? Mm, quite a lot.
1: Uh, I was already deeply into eco-philosophy and uh, ecology. So for me, this was a very natural response. It was like, I've been speaking about, you know, ecosystem the greening the economy but I didn't think much about my own diet until that point where the health kind of kicked off uh, a real 90 degree turn in the way I now internalize so not just the outer landscapes but also the inner landscapes of the cells and the blood and the the pH of the inner system and of course the intestines and the wonderful world hiding inside
0: there which we usually just ignore. That's beautifully said. Tell us more about your work and how that interacted or didn't interact with your own work. What had been your work before you were 35?
1: I specialized in long-term thinking. Um, so I started as a clinical psychologist and then I got kind of exhausted and fed up with post hoc or reactively reacting to the, the diseases of people coming out of a sick workplace, a sick organization, a sick economy. So I decided I want to enter economics myself. And the main tool I found there. Uh, because I found most economic decisions incredibly short-term. And The main tool then was to expand the horizon by the use of strategic scenarios. So I specialized in stories about the future and what they mean for your current decision-making processes. And I helped executive teams all over the world uh, figure out what the world would look like in 10, 20, 30 years, and then ask, what does this mean for your company today? And this inevitably included environmental and climate concerns because these get more and more important uh, the further or the more long term you're able to think so that was my way of smuggling in radical environmental perspectives into hardcore financial energy and um, consuming good companies
0: and did you make much of a dent it's so hard to think of tomorrow when you have the profit forecast for the next quarter brilliant question um the great thing was when
1: organizations put teams together with let's say staff or line managers and uh, some executives and we would have like workshops going over maybe four or five workshops spread out of 3 to 6 months and within that time frame their thinking shifted significantly so i had a huge impact on those people participating but then when those scenarios were supposed to be rolled out into the everyday decision making and the budgeting process in the companies. It was very hard to tell if there was any practical difference at all.
0: Did anyone point to different lines in the budget and say this would have been different?
1: That's, you know, when you are a scenario process facilitator, as I was, uh, I didn't sit down with the people making the budget. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea to what extent they did point to the budget and did influence the actual investments and the decision making. Uh, But it was uh, very often hard to see afterwards from the outside whether my work had had any impact at all. So... Even though I love scenarios, I think it's difficult, at least as a consultant, to come in, do some scenarios, hit and run, and then think you change your organizations because you you haven't. So maybe it should be rather a tool for those managers themselves so they could make their own scenarios before they make the decisions, because then they own their own long-term thinking rather than just relying on an internal team of other people or experts making those scenarios for them. I think this is very, very important for the food uh, sector as well. If you want to change your organization, it's it's incredibly important to, to have these kind of future thinking we explore here at EAT Forum to be owned by the the line managers and the executives making those uh, financial investments
0: themselves. And what are some of the considerations they should have when they're thinking about uh, planning their business? How does food enter into this? At least, you told us more about your life, and I want to hear more about that, but Do the people in their scenario planning seminars that you run or or discussions, does food ever come up as something when you're talking about climate?
1: I was working mostly with the energy community, energy companies, and uh, then the answer is not much. but I also did stuff for retailers and consumer good companies, and then also the Norwegian Research Council's new research programs on food. Uh, and in this area, climate change and the changing cultural frames around the food was figured hugely. So uh, it depends really on how you scope the scenario project. You can either scope it in a way that includes a large chunk of the food industry, or you scope it in a way that makes it irrelevant to the decisions that you're going to make.
0: And for you food coming to the eat forum, is it something that you think about a lot in your everyday life? Certainly, but with your allergies and the change of your diet, it's something you're personally aware of, but has it become part of your professional life?
1: Um,
0: Yes. In the sense that I now teach green growth theory
1: or green economics and, um, when the key concept there is resource productivity and when you look at the major value chains in our society um, the three core or the largest ones are mobility buildings and the food these three is more than half of the gdp about half of the employment and uh, 60 percent of household budgets so in this way food systems and the resource wastefulness we see in them is core to what I do uh, at Norwegian Business School in Oslo.
0: Right. And and we talk a lot, and I imagine you talk about food waste a lot, do you? Is, is everyday waste now, as opposed to how to avoid it in the future and increase productivity, is that part of what you're teaching? And do you do work on food waste?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, what? Well, you know, as an academic... Um, I for instance contribute to a project on looking for new salmon feed because Norway is a huge salmon producer
0: and we eat a lot of salmon from Norway.
1: Yeah and you eat in a way a dead rain- rainforest because that uh, wasn't
0: an approving yeah.
1: Mm, no no. So you know we import so much soy from Brazil for instance which is then quite often grown or at least increases the pressure on the rainforest so that food is then shipped over with some toxins in them to keep uh, also the the, the the marine proteins from um, the chile region um, from exploding and uh, in, the, in the tanks so all that stuff goes into norwegian salmon and um, the resource productivity of that system is just incredibly uh, stupid or terrible. So our project would be to look into something called pulicheta which is, um, I don't know exactly, the, the, the it's a Latin name of those small worms that have lots of, uh, do you know the name of them? I can't remember the English name. pulicheta. And the thing is, they eat waste in the marine environment, and they create a lot of uh, lipids and omega-3s and an excellent feed for the salmon. It's a natural feed. They would eat those kind of uh, worms from the, the seabed. And uh, the idea is to grow them in a large scale and make convert them into salmon feed that will replace the, the,
0: uh, the soy from... Does this mean that I should be personally boycotting Norwegian salmon? Yeah. We have an action step here at the Eat Forum. Uh, and being aware of what goes into that Norway salmon that we're eating in, and the entire life cycle analysis of starting in Brazil in the rainforest. Mm. Um, and is anyone or anybody trying to use some of these more climate friendly methods to produce feed and farm fish?
1: That's the good news, of course. That there are quite a few corporations now in Norway trying to grow uh, kelp and grow shells and grow these other worms type of thing, and also actually convert agricultural or forest waste by the means of yeast into protein that to feed uh, the salmon. So. Fortunately, thanks also for Europeans boycotting, particularly French, boycotting Norwegian salmon. Uh, This is a kind of attention that uh, the corporate executives uh, abhor, of course, and uh, it really kicks their ass and gets them going. So um, to keep at it, just make a lot of noise about how terrible the the eco-footprint of Norwegian salmon production is still, and then um, that would stimulate their willingness to invest in these rapidly growing alternatives that would be much more sustainable um, as soon as they, they, we manage uh, yeah, large-scale production.
0: Make noise when it comes to Norwegian salmon. Make sure that there's going to be better feed and that the producers are aware of that. I'm thrilled to have that action step. What's another action step, or is that the main one that you can recommend we take when it comes to eating?
1: Um, another action step is, uh, the shift to plant-based diets. I wrote a chapter in a book called the Reducitarian. I know there's a lot of noise about flexitarianism now, but I also like the Reducitarian, uh, option where you eat a little bit less meat all the time. I tend to, as a psychologist, recommend not these huge ambitions when it comes to changing your lifestyle from one week to the next, because, uh, habits are, you know, hard to crack and um it's very important to give yourself some slack and uh to to celebrate the small wins uh and particularly when it comes to, to plant-based diet uh finding your own recipes for using the swedish product like oomph or kjorn that we have here made from mushrooms or uh just soy protein these new plates or these new um, recipes need to be integrated into who you are so they become natural for my, for yourself and your kids and um, uh, also building not just yourself but actually serving that to your friends and colleagues so it's not just an individual thing but you start to spread the social norms that this is uh, the new
0: and cool and uh, normal way to eat actually so those are great philosophical ways of thinking of our own everyday diet what other causes excite you when you see your students embracing them and what would you hope that youth today would embrace and would even spread wider than norway in your own student population
1: i am maybe like many others have you spoken with absolutely thrilled of course with uh, the thunberg uh, inspired climate strikes and um, the, the the mobilization is just incredible, but they're still lacking the formulation and the sort of attractive visualization of a society where we don't need to do those climate strikes. So what 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 are the the society we want? What does it look like, and the economy we want? So when I teach now green growth at Norwegian Business School, in the beginning, like five six years ago, it was I mean like a fringe topic. What has been, I've been absolutely thrilled by the last few years when my courses are, you know, overfilling. We have to stop, uh, taking in students because there's, it's, they're full quite early and, and they're, really hungry and they're really flourishing in terms of their ideas on what they want to make so their own how to change the business strategy how to start up new uh, green tech companies how to shift procurement ways so you have higher degrees of green procurement both in public and and, and private sectors so it's this the vision of the world we want materialized, not just in, in cliches or grand words, but like drawn down from that big vision to their workplace and, and being able to assist students in making that concrete, specific and doable. Uh, it's a huge boost to my motivation, and I think it's mutual. They they, they grow uh, as when I am get enthusiastic about their projects.
0: Well, we all teach to learn from our students. So yes. thank you very much, and Stockness, for visiting us here at the Eat Forums. Go,
1: great being with you. Wonderful talk. Thanks. <laughs>